final coming on December 21st, but the Jazz got a lot of the work and the heavy lifting done early. This is Round Ball Roundup on UtahJazz.com. We're discussing their free agency, Donovan's extension, Derek Favors being brought back, Jordan Clarkson re-signing, and Rudy Gobert with Tim McMahon, ESPN NBA reporter. In just a moment, I want to remind you, the podcast is brought to you by University of Utah Health. UVU Health sports medicine experts give you the same care they give the Jazz because you belong in the game just as much as anyone. Call 801-587-2222 or go to sportsmed.uofuhealth.org. It's the story going into the 21st. Rudy and his Supermax eligible contract extension. When will he sign? What will he do? He addressed it with the media, said that's the reason why he has an agent. Smart answer. And as far as what they can do, and just understand in this podcast, going to round numbers, and it's going to come from Bobby Marks in The Athletic, Danny LaRue. So you can do the reading on your own if you want to be an extra great student. But no, I'm rounding here. So he's eligible for the Supermax. He's made three All-NBAs, second team, two-thirds, and he's been Defensive Player of the Year twice. You know how impactful he is. Jazz know how impactful he is. He knows how impactful he is. So where is it going to land when it comes to what's the right number? Because being eligible for that Supermax, that means he can be paid 35% of the cap. So right now, he's getting paid 20% of the cap. And if we're talking Supermax money, the thing that Giannis is going for, five years upwards of $200 million. With Giannis, though... If he doesn't sign by that date, there really aren't any great options for Milwaukee. Rudy, otherwise. During the season, they could negotiate a four-year, $130 million. And that gives you luxury to have more time to find that right number with the agent. 35% also, it can be up to that. So it could be 32%. And then it could de-escalate. We talked to Bobby Marks. So you can go back to that episode and also listen to these ramifications and also be a fun listen to see how things actually panned out for free agency. He gave a nice primer on what they could offer Jordan Clarkson or Derek Favors, and they got them both. So you can listen to that. Finding the right number is what's going to happen. I'm impressed by how he dealt with the questions, and I don't think that this is something that can hang over and hover know how intense Rudy is, how he plays for this team. And they're both value on both sides. They both value each other. So realizing what can be the right deal for both sides, that's the story heading into those games. Once we get to 22, regular season's on, we're getting ready. As for the other work, got it done with Donovan's extension. Five years, 190. If he makes All-NBA, he could get all that money. And if he jumps up that level, this team will be much better. Already know how good it is as he just made his first all-star team. Understandably, there's a little consternation over the fourth-year player option. And we discussed that with Tim McMahon. It's a deal similar to Jason Tatum. Drafting a player, seeing him develop, getting to a point where he trusts you enough, you're guaranteed, if things go right, 
eight years with a player. Four years on the rookie deal, four years on that extension. And that's exactly what the Jazz get. If they are competent, which they are, if they are good, which they can be, they could continue this ride. I understand the consternation. It makes sense. Get a little wary if that window gets a little smaller. But if this is the right situation and the marketing machine behind Donovan gets all the exposure that it needs, he'll be fine. He's already in the Spider-Man commercials. He has a signature shoe. Get it done in Salt Lake City. Implications of that contract are next year. If Rudy and Mike aren't retained, Jazz have $40 million to spend on two starters because you'd lose your defensive player to your center and then lose a starting point guard. Extensions can change that, and renegotiation with Mike Conley can also change that. But those are the implications from him signing early because his money comes in next year. That's the start of that five-year deal. Quick takes on the other ones. As the McRib is back, Derek Favors signs three years 30. Not relying on pork prices, Derek Favors can be an elite backup center in the league. Dennis Lindsay identified the Lakers during his media availability when he talked on Monday. Everybody's chasing them, and you need size and length. They were too big for the Jazz last season. So Favors adds that length, and he provides really dependable minutes once Rudy's off the floor. Know exactly what he got. When he was the backup big towards the end of his first run, he was playing some of the best ball of his life. And now that he's coming back with that second unit, he could be just the right antidote for the bench struggles that we saw in the bubble. The other person that fixed that bench, Jordan Clarkson. See how that offense became top five once he joined the squad in December. Clarkson has an offseason. Two offseasons if you consider the run-up to the bubble before. You can notice how well he's getting to know players, how well he gets on with everybody. Joe Ingles in particular, Clarkson getting that agreement with Clutch, 4 for 52. He's a good player. A clear priority as Jazz went and got their business done very quickly that Friday, and they had Woj tweeting out the bombs. And as a result of the contracts, a million dollars in the tax. Utah offloads Tony Bradley and Ed Davis, and then they see Emmanuel Moutier still a free agent as of this recording. With this group, in a normal season, I would see them winning a lot of games. 50 is a good benchmark. 60% of the games in 82. So in 72, put it at 43 and a half, taking the over or the under. It's a highly competitive Western Conference, but what else is new? It's been competitive since Donovan came into the league and eliminated the Thunder which had Paul George, Russell Westbrook, and Carmelo Anthony. It was competitive the following year when the Rockets took Utah down. Competitive this last season with the Nuggets. Everybody's chasing the Lakers, but if you get the right matchup, there's a chance you do some special things. Podcast brought to you by University of Utah Health. Number one ranked hospital in Utah by U.S. News for seven straight years. Let's get to Tim McMahon. Blockbuster trade Wednesday night. Russell Westbrook, John Wall swapping places. 
clearly affects the balance of the conference. So we started there. ESPN's NBA reporter, Tim McMahon. Let's start with your neck of the woods, Houston. What the hell happened? <laughs> what happened was uh, Russell Westbrook and James Harden reunion, their reunion uh, only lasted a year. And Russell Westbrook uh, decided that he didn't enjoy playing with his childhood friend as much as he expected to. He wanted to, quote, play my game. Made it clear he was not happy in Houston. And so the Rockets, uh, you know, they, they understood there wasn't much of a market for Westbrook, but they dug their heels in and said that they weren't going to trade him unless they got at least one asset in return. And so when the Wizards offered that protected first-round pick along with John Wall, uh, the, the Rockets pounced on that. But, you know, let's call it what it is. This is a uh, kind of a mutual sell-low on max salaries type of trade. And uh, for the Wizards, they did get a guy who was third-team All-NBA last season, Russell Westbrook, but it, it remains to be seen how he fits with Bradley Beal. Um, if Russ wants to play his game on Bradley Beal's team, I, you know, we'll see how that works. Um, and for the Rockets, they moved off of Russell Westbrook and got in return uh, John Wall, who there's similarities in their game. Wall is a little bit more suited to be a uh, uh, used as a spot-up shooter. Uh, but John Walls hadn't played basketball, uh, at least in an NBA game, in two years. And as good as he, people say he's looked in workouts and pickup games, I mean, there's obviously a, 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 some very big question marks regarding his health, his explosiveness, his athleticism coming off such a, such a devastating injury. Where does this leave Harden? Yeah, it, it doesn't drastically change things regarding James Harden. It certainly does not change the Rockets' stance on James Harden. And, you know, that is that they think they can be competitive uh, with him this season with the changes that they made, bringing in Christian Wood, DeMarcus Cousins, you know, a lot of the other kind of supporting cast uh, returning. Um, but they don't feel any urgency to kind of give in and, and move James Harden to where he wants to be. He has two guaranteed years left on that contract before he can become a free agent. So lever the Rockets have that leverage. Time is certainly on their side. They hope to be competitive. They hope to be uh, a potential contender this season. If that doesn't happen as we get near to the trade deadline, you know, certainly all things are possible at that point. But the Rockets are determined that they're not going to get 70 cents on the dollar. They got that the market for Russell Westbrook wasn't very strong. For Harden, though, they're saying any potential return would have to be a young franchise cornerstone type of player and a Drew Holiday-like return in terms of uh, a draft picks. That's where those conversations would have to start for the Rockets. And again, these things, <laughs> you know, it's always a fluid situation, but this is a perennial MVP candidate in his prime, and that's the kind of return that the Rockets would want if they aren't able to repair that relationship and kind of get him to recommit to being in Houston. No untradeable contracts is obviously the, the lesson that we learned uh, just last night. As for the Jazz's offseason, the mm -hmm. contract that everybody's watching right now and the story of the moment has been around Rudy Gobert and what's going to happen with his contract going forward. Superbacks eligible, but as we had uh, Bobby Marks on the pod earlier, doesn't mean that he'll get the full boat. And right. how do you see this? 
uh, resolving itself and where are we in the state of the negotiation between the two parties? Right. And the fact that he is supermax eligible is uh, <laughs> that makes it much more difficult for the Jazz because, you know, the, I, I can't see him getting supermax. I can't see him honestly getting close to it. Um, but they need Rudy Gobert. And, and look, it's, it's a mutual thing. They both want Rudy in Utah long term. You know, the, the friction, the tension with Donovan Mitchell, I think they've moved past that. I think the fact that stuff kind of bubbled to the surface might even have been beneficial just in terms of Donovan and Rudy having some heart to hearts and, and dealing with it. And, 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 you know, they're both on board with that professional partnership moving forward. And now it becomes a negotiation. And you heard Rudy the other day basically say, look, he has an agent for a reason. The agent will handle those negotiations. He's focused on, on basketball. Um, but at a certain point, if, if they don't get an extension done, then you start to really wonder, okay, you know, does Rudy, do they start exploring the trade market for Rudy? Um, neither party wants it to get to that point, but it, that is a reasonable scenario if they aren't able to get a deal done. Does Giannis and his decision impact anything that happens with the Jazz? No, I really don't think it does. Those are two completely separate situations. And, you know, for, for Giannis, look, there's no negotiations. He either signs the Supermax or he doesn't. Um, for Rudy, it's all about the negotiations. So, um, you know, as, as dominant a player as Rudy's been, I think we're talking about two different levels. We're talking about, uh, you know, a, a, a guy who's a force, a guy who a, a one-time all-star that probably should be a three or four-time all-star versus a, a dude who's been the two-time MVP. So totally different conversations, totally different situations. What was your feel on the rest of what the Jazz did? Bringing back Derek Favors from the first iteration of the Jazz, at least in the playoffs as of late, mm-hmm. and then re-signing Jordan Clarkson. Yeah, and look, the Jazz – early last season, let's be honest, the bench was a total disaster. And going out and making the trade for Jordan Clarkson, you know, really gave Utah a big boost. Uh, he was a, a, a great fit there. He's got a, he, he really fits, you know, has thrived in Quinn Snyder's system, fits well as that, you know, kind of instant offense uh, guy coming off the bench. Obviously, the Jazz gave him a nice contract. You know, his agent, Rich Paul, was able to to use the leverage of the situation and, and get him that deal. But I think that bringing him back was a necessity. And then there's no doubt the Jazz missed Derek Favors. And, you know, Favors returning to Utah, not expecting to be the starting power forward, understanding that, you know, probably almost every night was maybe some of the exceptions, perhaps the Lakers matchup being one of them, uh, that Bogdanovich will start at power forward with either Royce O'Neal or Joe Ingles in the starting lineup and favors his job is, is essentially to be the best backup big man in the NBA. And you saw the non-Rudy minutes last year were just a massive problem for the Jazz. You know, they had Davis signing, obviously didn't work out. Tony Bradley, uh, you know, there was a, just a, an immense drop-off. And this is basically ensuring that uh, when Favors and, and Rudy are both healthy, you're going to have an elite defensive presence at center for 48 minutes per game. And I think maybe the most important, or as important, I should say, is that you're going to have a great finisher and, and a guy who really has comfort as that that pick-and-roll big man with the second unit. And so if it is Joe Ingles coming off the bench, where Joe could never really get comfortable in that role, didn't have that same kind of chemistry, not the same type of player 
with Ed Davis and then Tony Bradley, we've seen the favors uh, Ingles chemistry in the pick and roll. And then, you know, that's something that should be able to, they should be able to kind of pick up right where they left off. What do you make of his season last year with New Orleans? That's still fresh of mind while also considering he played his best basketball towards the end of 2018-19 when he was in that role as the, the second center for this team. Yeah, I, you know, I, I think Favors was, he was okay last year for the Pelicans. And, you know, I, if you look at the numbers with him and Zion on the floor together, they were actually very good. Um, you know, Fave is, he's always going to be dealing with some, some, you know, bumps and bruises, some health issues. And, you know, I, I think this is a much better role for him at this point in his career. He does not need to be a 30 minute per game guy. You're going to have, uh, you know, kind of, I think a dim- diminishing returns, the more minutes that he plays. Whereas, you know, in this role, if he can be an 18, 22 minute per game guy, I think it can, you know, help keep him fresher, help keep him healthy, perhaps extend his career. And look, he's going to be matched up against backup big men in the majority of his minutes. And that's going to be advantage Derek favors <laughs> the vast majority of the time. Year four for Donovan Mitchell, you know exactly what he can bring. He's your Twitter banner. Your reaction to his dunk is your Twitter banner. What can he bring realizing how, how much he still needs to do as a playmaker and other things? Well, I, I think the question is, uh, can Donovan Mitchell is was the bubble a, a springboard? Was that kind of a sign of things to come, or was that just a you know kind of a, a, a few week uh, peak period? And I'm not saying you're expecting the guy to average whatever he did in the play. What it was at 36, 38 per game, but you know, can he be you know raise his game to consistent superstar level? There's a big difference between all star and superstar. He was a superstar. Uh, during that first round series, and I don't think you, you that you want to necessarily put a ceiling on him. You understand uh, the work ethic. You understand the talent. I think he is very uh, self-aware of the flaws in his games. You know the the, the parts of his games that he's need to work on. And I, the other thing with Donovan is, I think you always need to remember how early he is in his development. Um, and not just, you know, going into his fourth NBA season, but realize he had a bigger offensive burden, significantly bigger offensive burden as an NBA rookie than he did in college. And basketball wasn't even his main sport until he was about 16 years old, about midway through his high school time. So his development in, in terms of being a go-to guy, he's still very early in it. Again, not just as an NBA player but as a basketball player in general. So I still think there is a lot of room for growth there. Before we get back to Tim, I want to let you know the podcast is brought to you by University of Utah Health, trusted healthcare provider for the jazz family and yours. Visit uofuhealth.org slash jazz. Jazz fans worried about the fourth year player option. Uh, How do you think that that sets up for what they have as far as the contract extension that they were able to get in this offseason? Yeah, look, obviously, if, if you're going to give the guy uh, that max deal, you want all five years with you know him on board. Uh, the fact that he is able to opt out after four years, I'm not going to try to spin it and say, ah, it's, you know, it's, it's not a big deal. It's significant because basically now uh, instead of and, – and he is going to the last year of his rookie deal. So you've got this year 
plus four more. You've got a five-year window. If we're being realistic, it's a three-and-a-half-year window before the player can really start to put pressure. Once they get about a year and a half left, that's when the player can really start to put pressure um, <clears throat> in terms of, you know, looking for uh, – looking to move on to another situation. But, you know, I, I would say that if you are an NBA fan right now that you, you – you know, you're losing sleep over what's happening three and a half years from now. <laughs> you know, it, that, that, that's not a very fun way to watch basketball. So, you know, you, you, you've got this guy, you've got a team that can be uh, competitive right now, competitive for the foreseeable future. And if the Jazz are a, you know, a, a team that is not just a perennial playoff team, but, it, but is doing damage in the playoffs, then, you know, th- this situation might take care of itself. And, yeah, I, I don't necessarily see Donovan as a guy who is looking to move just because. Um, you know, I, I we'll, we'll see how things play out. But if you look at, um, you know, for example, Anthony Davis, he didn't leave because he just decided he didn't want to be in New Orleans. He left because it, it wasn't a situation where he was competitive. So, you know, obviously there's pressure on the Jazz's front office and, and on Quinn Snyder to make sure that this is a consistently – competitive franchise but that was going to be in place whether there was that uh, player option or not it's just the, the timetable in terms of things getting sticky has just moved up a year and a, a switch in in ownership has to be something that you have to consider whether ryan smith and, and ashley smith taking over the stewardship of the team how committed are they to the luxury tax and, and those type of things they're already a million in uh, as we stand right now Ultimately, where do you think that this offseason stacks up in the Western Conference with obviously the Lakers being the, the team everybody's following? Yeah, look, I mean, the Lakers are going to be the clear favorites, as they should be. Um, you know, I think the Clippers are still kind of a clear-cut number two team, despite all the, 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 the drama and the turnover that they've had there. And then the Jazz are in that, that clump of teams. Uh, right after that, obviously, that you have to throw the Nuggets in there. But if you're the Jazz, yeah, the Nuggets went to the West Finals. Well, you know, you're a, a Mike Conley buzzer beater away from beating them in the first round. And obviously, if you're the Jazz, you feel like you should have won that series, having been up three one. Um, you know, I think the Mavericks are obviously a team on the rise. Luka Doncic, at 21 years old, is already an established MVP candidate. Um, and you know, but then the Rockets are a team with a lot of question marks. Uh, but, you know, the Western Conference is going to be an absolute beast. I can go down the list and find you 10 or 11 teams that I think are playoff caliber, and obviously uh, only eight are going to make it. Go, name them. Who, who are the teams that you think can make it? Well, you put me on the spot here. So Phoenix is talk, a new one that, that people are, right, are talking we, we, about. We talked we – talk, okay, so take the eight playoff teams from last year. Yep. Um, subtract Oklahoma City, had Phoenix – I think the Grizzlies certainly are a playoff caliber team. I think that the uh, you know the, the Pelicans, um, you know, could very well uh, be in that mix. And then obviously the Warriors. You know, if, if Steph Curry is healthy, I think the you know <laughs> to to dismiss the Warriors um, not just as a playoff team, but as a team that could do some damage in the playoffs would be would be ridiculous. What do we make of the Warriors now that that clays down and they do have that? second overall pick that they do bring in with James Wiseman. 
you know, again, I think it all depends on on Steph Curry's health. And when we didn't see him hardly at all last year, the the first few games before he got hurt uh, were ugly. There, there's no question about that. But they at least have Kelly Oubre to uh, you know more than likely fill that starting role. That he's not Clay Thompson. He's not close to Clay Thompson, but he is a a starting caliber uh, NBA player. Um, and then you know. We'll see how what what kind of impact Wiseman can make right off the bat, but at, at the minimum, you know he's a he's a really athletic, physically gifted seven footer who, you know, if you're talking about kind of a rim running, finishing, rebounding type of role, <laughs> I, I think he can be dangerous in that uh, as a teammate of Steph Curry and Draymond Green. CP trading up and coming teams with Phoenix now. Uh, how much better did they get this offseason? Look, I, I when Chris Paul left Houston, I was among the doubters for sure. Um, and he proved me and a lot of the people wrong with the season that he had last year in Oklahoma City. Uh, with, you know, he, he got, you know, I guess becoming vegan really benefited him physically. He was able to stay healthy uh, the entire season. And he, and he proved that when healthy, he still – an elite point guard and you know everybody knows what he is as a competitor and the other thing is he was a great leader on that young team and so I think he fits really well in Phoenix um, as a backcourt partner uh, with Devin Booker not just from a basketball perspective but I think Devin Booker stands to benefit immensely in terms of his growth as a franchise player just kind of seeing how CP handles his business and and you know he will be challenged by Chris Paul, you know, in, in terms of, uh, of being a competitor. And so, you know, the Suns for a team that hasn't been in the playoffs forever are now a team that you at least have to take seriously. You mentioned them a little while ago. I want to just hit them because you're right in, in their neck of the woods, Dallas with Luca. How much better can, can he jump up to that superstar level? I mean, listen, Luca is, I would say, a top three player in the league right now. He's a legitimate MVP candidate right now. What he did last year in his age 20 season is absolutely ridiculous. I, I think the, the big question in Dallas is what will they get from Chris Tapps Porzingis, who is still recovering from knee surgery, is going to be out for at least the first few weeks of the season. Uh, they have in Luka, not just a face of the franchise, but a face of the league, a guy who can unquestionably be the best player on a perennial championship contender. The question is, do they have that number two guy uh, in place with Porzingis? And then you know the Mavericks are going to be on elite offense. They were statistically the most efficient offense in NBA history last season. You know, their focus this offseason was on going from mediocre to good defensively. That's the reason they traded Seth Curry to get Josh Richardson. That's, you know, the, the reason they made uh, the, 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 the pick uh, of Josh Green in the first round, you know, they, if the Mavericks are a top 10 defense, they're an absolute threat, but that's a, that's a big jump from what they were last season. He is ESPN's NBA reporter, Tim McMahon. He joined us on Ramball Roundup on utahjazz.com. Tim, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks for having me, JP. Mm-hmm.